Welcome back to the Knicks Fall at the Buzzer podcast. My name is Josh, and I'm here with a couple guests. It was a thrilling game all in all. We had some exciting moments from Julius Randle, Alec Burks, Obi Top, and a whole lot of the Knicks folks that we'll talk about today. Dean, give me some impressions from this game all around. If you want to start with the first half, second half, wherever you feel like it. From the start of the game, and I know that this is a brand new starting lineup, but it felt like a group that was really comfortable playing together and really just approaching a big game on national TV uh, like they were just trying to come out and get a win. Alec Burks looked more than comfortable with this lineup. He finished with 25, 5, and 5. And he, the starting lineup really didn't miss a beat with him. Not that you know they had a beat to miss because they weren't doing too great before. But I thought it looked natural. I thought uh, it was a shame that RJ ended up coming out with uh, that non-COVID illness that he's battling because I thought he had a nice start. Uh, he was really hustling. And I thought that um, it could be a big bounce back game from him or at least, uh, you know, he, he could stamp his presence a little more so than he's been doing. But I thought it looked good all around. And it was an interesting game because like when it seemed like things were starting to slip away, they got it back. I think that's my lasting impression of the game. And we'll talk about the second half later, but I thought that the resilience was the main takeaway for me tonight. Yeah, same for me. And I mean, I wasn't mad at anything that happened in the first quarter. Um, they were outscored, I think, 28 to 33 to Brooklyn. So it was pretty close and it was pretty hard fought. Um, but they definitely looked to be more cohesive on offense. I don't know if it's necessarily because of Alec Burks, but he definitely helped, didn't hurt to have him starting over Kemba, especially defensively. He was a great presence to have. Um, but, you know, James Harden finally shook off whatever rust he had going into this game, and he was going off on us in the first quarter. Um, and there wasn't a lot that the Knicks could do on him, but I think they did a great job of locking up Durant in the first quarter, in the first half as well. Um, he didn't really start to get it going until the second half, which I thought was great. And yeah, like you guys have already said, offensively, I thought that they looked a lot better than they have in recent games. And I really liked what Burks and Randall had to contribute in the first quarter. Yeah, I like that Julius kind of took his time again, but I was a little worried again because he started off facilitating a lot and he's been doing that a lot lately. But then as the game goes on, he's been having trouble figuring out when to turn it on in terms of being aggressive, in terms of when to start scoring. Um, so when he starts out with the six times and he would, he didn't really have any, any points yet. I was like, uh, I mean, what kind of, what kind of game are we going to get from him again tonight? But I liked that we started to kind of pick his spots and work from there. He did a good job setting the table, but it seemed like he was more comfortable in that first quarter with a guy like Burks in there. Um, the issue is like, they've had guys who can score the ball and shoot the ball. Obviously it's been a consistency issue and Burks after the first like six games where he was running around doing nothing for a while has been like lights out and excellent and very consistent. So I'm sure having a guy back in the lineup like that, you could reliably kick out to and kind of know that he's going to score, not just be like a streaky burst of scoring like we've gotten from, you know, pretty much everybody else in the lineup. But 
I feel like with Burks, he's been a little bit more comfortable with that. So to me, yeah, I mean, Burks played a great game too. I mean, came out guns blazing, came out aggressive. So it's like, that's what you want from your, your starting NBA point guard, Alec Burks, uh, you know, two, two games in a row. Now what do you have? 23 last game, 25 tonight. It's not too soon to start the Alec Burks, uh, all-star campaign at point guard position. I'm just saying. So an excellent game. 25, five and five. That's excellent. Well, what more do you want? Yeah, and how I'm looking at this starting lineup, you know, before we had a bench unit that was dominant and we had a starting lineup that was bleeding points and giving the bench unit deficits virtually every single game. And the way I see it now, um, I think what we have to keep an eye on now is what's the ceiling for this starting lineup? Because I think that it has a significantly higher floor with, you know, Randall being the main facilitator and you guys got guys around him that know their roles. They're going to shoot and do a little bit of secondary creation. What stresses me out a bit with this lineup is that I think if it's a little more egalitarian, it could be really good. Like it could be a positive lineup uh, night in and night out. But what we see without anyone that Randall feels like he needs to defer to, it can devolve at the end of games, at the end of possessions, at the end of quarters into Randall isolating and, um, you know, if the defense is coming at him a certain way, he and he isn't finding those guys for wide open shots, then he, you know, we know that he settles for that, uh, that tough fadeaway. But I think with Kemba out there, they were thinking a little bit too much how to get Kemba involved, how to get Kemba, you know, those regular point guard reps that he probably earned being one of the best point guards in the league for the last decade. Um, and I think, uh, I think it just makes more sense now. And, uh, Another thing I want to mention is that there was a period where quickly was out there with Burks and Randall, both on the court. And it seemed like they were deferring to him a little bit and letting him play the more pure point guard role. So I think over time, if quickly can just slide himself in there and establish himself, maybe not in the starting lineup, but in the closing lineup as the guy that's going to control the ball, I think the Knicks would be better for it because I don't think it's too sustainable going down the stretch of games with, with Randall, you know, bringing the ball up, having it at the top of the key and, trying to exploit mismatches when he's already at like 38 minutes. Yeah. Um, I just want to chime in. Um, I just, I think it was a, a solid, solid team game. You guys saw that Derek Rose was sorely missed. Like he came back 16 points, nine assists. Um, like he, 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 re he, he stabilized um, some of the scoring that was missing. Um, and like and like um Dean just said, like um IQ doesn't necessarily have to start, but um establishing him with um with with the starters and like just down the stretch when the game is um in the balance, I think is really important to see that because um, he's been clutch. He's he's been part of that um unit that's brought the Knicks back, that's um that uh put the team in in winning situations when the starters haven't, you know held up their end of the bargain. IQ's been part of that unit that's um you know um cohesive um enough to just keep the game close enough for the Knicks to be able to just you know win win games and stuff like that. So it's important that, that he gets time with like the main guys um down the stretch. I mean the good thing is he's probably gonna start getting 25, 30 minutes a night regularly if Kemp was gone. I mean, 
it kind of puts him back to where he was last year when there was a little bit less guards in the stable, which is good. I mean, I think we're some of us, uh, I know, were worried that he was going to start getting buried a little bit with all these guards in the lineup. So it's kind of good to see the cream rise to the top again because you see how, like, confident he plays. He's a rhythm player. And the more you just let him out on the floor, I mean, like, this year specifically, him and Obi have done a lot of things better, but, like, he keeps his head up really well when he dribbles now. Last year, he was looking to kind of, like, just get the ball, head down, kind of attack, do his thing, you know, get into the paint, do a floater, step back for the three real quick. But now he started, you know, he gets the ball, he pushes, he's always looking, heads up, always looking, looking, looking. I think he had seven assists tonight. So that's what you want. You want him to get comfortable just playing guard. Everybody gets caught up in this point guard, shooting guard nonsense with him. Uh, you just got to play guard in the NBA. Uh, Alec Burks is the epitome of that, right? I mean, doesn't matter. You start him at point guard, shooting guard, start him at three, whatever. He's just going to come out, knows how to be a, a perimeter player. So I think Quick did a good job of that tonight. Uh, a couple games in a row now. So got to start seeing those 25, 30-minute games regularly for him. Now he, he should be racking up these minutes. Yeah, for sure. D-Rose's effect on this game was definitely huge. If I could just touch on the beginning of what I saw, you can see, like, from just from the beginning, you can see Alec Burke's impact on the game. In the first quarter, I think he led us in scoring with about nine points. And you can see, like, the effect of why um, Tibbs made the decision of keeping, uh, putting Alec Burks inside that starting lineup. You see Alec Burks' length in there. He was able to get some tip, um, some tip-ins, um, able to get to his mid-range shot, and, you know, just all around a great game from him. And you can just see his impact on the game. And there was, like, no point in this game where I was like, oh, I could really use Kemba right now. You felt comfortable. I'd like to mention, as I do on every single episode of At The Buzzer, that Obi Toppin did not play enough minutes. He got 11 minutes and a half tonight, three or four from the field. It was a plus four, eight points, and looked great. And what he provides, the threat that he provides as a role man and as a lob threat and a transition threat, I think it's too important to this team to you know, decide that they'd rather have Nerlens Noel out there who played 19 minutes and scored zero points and had three rebounds and didn't attempt a shot from the field and seemed to fumble between seven and 10 rebounds and loose balls. And, um, you know, it's like I was thinking to myself, I don't know if that makes him unplayable, but it definitely makes him unwatchable for me because it hasn't been the same rim protection that we've seen from him. But focusing on this game only, the Nets aren't a team that's going to attack the rim at a, at a high volume. And Obi was playing well. Nerlens Noel wasn't really providing anything. If anything, they just needed someone that was going to secure loose balls and score some points. Uh, so I'm really happy with the change that Tibbs has made to the rotation. But I think that that remains to be low-hanging fruit in a major way. I mean, Obi Toppin is just really good. And going down the stretch, We'll talk about how he ended up on the bench. It really looked like he was going to close with quickly uh, Rose, Burks, Obi, and Julius Randle. And I'm thinking that that's probably their best lineup, maybe even with everyone healthy. That's what I want to see the most. And that went on for about a minute and a half, two minutes. Uh, Obi caught Kevin Durant on a switch. Kevin Durant rised up from the mid-range and scored over him as he tends to do against literally every defender that he's ever played against. And Tibbs immediately called for Mitch to come back into the game. And Mitch played a great game. I just, what I'm worried about is the rationale for pulling Obi in that situation. Like, of course, there's positives about bringing Mitchell Robinson back into the game. But I think that if you had a notion to play Obi and Randall together down the stretch, there's no good reason to pull it. 
that Kevin Durant scored over him one time in the mid-range. Yeah, like something small that I had noticed, not even small, um, but, you know, IQ and Obi's chemistry on the floor together is something that the Knicks could have definitely used tonight, especially considering how small the Nets are. Um, and the fact that they had IQ trying to run pick and roll with Noel as often as they did tonight was really confusing to me. Um, and the minutes that they gave to Noel as opposed to Obi tonight was just so, it, it got me really heated when I was watching the game. So I was just thinking to myself, like how different would the defensive intensity be with Obi on the floor right now compared to Noel, which is really saying something. Um, but that was really an interesting lineup choice by Tibbs, considering that last game, I thought that Tibbs did a fantastic job of all the different lineup combinations. I know the Knicks were depleted in a lot of areas because of injury and, you know, illness and things of that nature. But tonight he could have definitely kept going on in that direction. And for some reason decided to opt for Noel who just had so many moments tonight that just left me scratching my head, just not going for rebounds when he should have been uh, completely missing them entirely when he was trying to go for them. Um, and just not being a presence in my opinion, he was sort of an empty stat tonight. I hope that he is able to improve. It might just be rustiness on his part, but as we've seen time and time again from Noel, he's definitely not as effective, especially just getting rebounds and being a defensive center as Mitchell Robinson is. Yeah, so I'm really surprised. I was looking at the, the box score that we talked about only played around 11 minutes, and I feel like he should at least play 20 minutes, especially on a against a Brooklyn squad that plays a lot of small ball with guys like um, Marcus Aldridge. I know he's a really big paint presence and he can always get to his mid-range shot, but it's a really good opportunity to always have him get some minutes and time, especially seeing how he ran the floor and would beat almost any guy up the court. And whenever he comes in the game, he's always a energizer and brings so much life to the game. And whenever the Knicks were going on their, their runs, trying to get back in the game, it was Obi Toppin running the break. It was IQ finding him in D-Rose, finding him in those outlet passes. Um, Obi definitely should have closed out the game. I know he you can bring out um bring in Rand um bring in Robinson for those uh that paint presence at the end of the game. I didn't think that was a really big issue, but you know, um uh, I think Obi should definitely got more minutes this game, especially with that impact that he had. Um I noticed on the sideline that Obi was kind of chirping with um with Tibbs. So I don't know if there's any issue going on with him or whatever they were discussing, but it's kind of Interesting to see that Obi was kind of a little mad at him for subbing him out there for Robinson at in the fourth quarter. I think Obi has a right to be angry. I think that we would be thinking a lot more about how Obi feels about his playing time if he weren't from New York and you know he weren't like clearly so excited about being on this Knicks team. Because if Obi was playing this well on the Memphis Grizzlies, on the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he had a coach that's not embracing him and giving him an opportunity to spread his wings at all. I think that we would hear about it. I think if his agent wasn't, or you know, part of his managing team wasn't uh, Leon Rose's son, we'd probably hear even more about it. I'm not saying I want him to request a trade because it's the furthest thing from what I want. And I do think that eventually Tibbs is going to have that trust in him to play him as a more serious part of the rotation as happened with quickly. I, th I don't think that he intended going into last year to have quickly in his rotation. He ended up as an important player in the rotation. And now he's maybe the, um, the premier, you know, lead guard that's really getting minutes on the team. And like we said, it was 37 minutes yeah. tonight. So. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I thought really the only blip in this game was the start of the third quarter. Like, I really thought as a whole, everybody played a really well-rounded game. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel like they had many holes. Like uh, Candace mentioned, they started out playing a great job on KD defensively. They stifled him sort of the same way that Randall was getting stifled inside. They made him work. Uh, second corner went on, you know, Randall started to go whack KD a little bit. It was nice to see. Uh, he was forcing the issue inside. Everybody loves to complain about all his not uh, at the rim attempts, pretty much. And it was good to see him get into the paint and score effectively, get to the rim. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, you know, I Fournier was running around doing nothing for like three quarters. And then he came back. I think, you know what I think happened? And like, he's got to get embarrassed sometimes. I, I don't know. But like, I, I know jumping ahead a little bit, but like, Tibbs yelled that was very angry when he pulled him from the game in the third. Like, to start the third, he was very angry. He says, he, I don't know if you guys caught that. He, like, turned and he said something like, like I think it was Rose or so, Obi, somebody yeah. was coming in. Rose was checking in and he just said, who am I checking in for? Evan. Evan. Evan is screaming. Evan yeah, just angry. You, you got you to, like, because, like, it's embarrassing sometimes, man. Like, I hate saying it, but, like, he's, he's legit worthless if he's not hitting his shots. Like, Aside from the clamps, he put in hard real quick uh, to end that one quarter. But I mean, he, he's got to he's got to hit, and if he's not, then yeah, he's got to get yanked. I, I would be frustrated too. You can't have a guy. It's like they play four and five sometimes when he's out there. But he came off strong once he came back in, so that that was straight. Um, you know, and and the OB thing though. I mean, I liked. This is my thing. Like he's not he's not going to play center, right? Like like Tibbs just refuses to acknowledge that that's even a thing that could happen just logically like he's going to always play him with a guy that he thinks is better at the five. I don't care if he plays Randall at the five and OB at the four. It does not matter to me. As long as he's getting those minutes that aren't occupied by Nerland's Noel. I have no problem with Nerland's. I think a lot, you know, sometimes I think it, like, I mean, we know he's got like stakes for hands. We know he can't do a whole lot, but at the same time, I mean, it was on full display tonight. He gets three rebounds. He's getting tossed around. He can't make his presence felt. He's blocking no shots. Uh, and this is a small Nets team, like you guys pointed out. Like, he should have been able to be a little bit more effective than he wasn't, so that's unfortunate. So, yeah, I mean, this is a game where Obi's supposed to get a little bit more playing time. Uh, uh, it was nice to see, like, in his brief minutes that he was getting a little bit more mixed and matched and lineups that made sense. But at the end of the day, if you're only playing 11 minutes, you can only oh. contribute so much. So I think we know – we see the style of ball that we could play when some of these guys are playing most notably quickly – and uh, Obi, and it's just, you know, I would like Tibbs to stop pussyfooting around with this and just kind of like fully dive in. Just, just lean into it, bro. Like, it shouldn't be this hard. He's such a smart coach, and he just refuses to lean in when, like, the obvious is staring him in the face. That's what bothers me. Just play. Just play. I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even saying play all the kids, but, like, these, these two, they got to play because your issues stem from the veterans that play over them, generally speaking, like, or the guys that eat their minutes anyway. So... I mean, we'll see. I mean, slow, maybe he's making more adjustments this year, but we'll see. Yeah, um, I just want to point out the Obi thing again. Um, he he, in the in the little minutes that he plays, he's always efficient and his motor is always on. He's always up and on the court, like he's zipping all over the place. And like you guys pointed out, um, and we pointed out, um, every podcast that I've been a part of, like just small ball like it works like I, I think there was like three possessions in a row where Obi and Randall were a part of 
um, scoring. So, I mean, it works. It works. And um, I think Dean pointed it out. Um, if you draft these young players, like, just believe in your investments. Like, you invested picks in them for a reason. So just use them. And obviously, they're producing because you see what Obi does in, like, those 11 minutes. He had eight points and, what was it, like, three, four rebounds in 11 minutes. Just keep them out there. And against small teams that like to run like the Nets, um, Obi could be super effective against those teams because he runs. It's like you guys pointed out, like Noel, like you saw his flaws tonight. He's slow. He has, you know, he has bricks for hands. Like he can't catch anything. He gets in the way. So it's just important to just get these young guys in and just get them like more like in tune with each other and just like, just trust Obi more. Like you're going to get something out of him every time. Like we point this out every time you're always going to get something out of Obi, the little things running around, hustling, even when he's not like necessarily like scoring, like you'll, you see him just like all over the place. So it's important that he gets his opportunity. Yeah. Touching on the, on the young guys, um, pretty unfortunate stint for Quentin Grimes to, to get thrown into the wolves uh, to start the second half. And that starting lineup played pretty poorly. The Nets came out so strong. And uh, Grimes was a minus 12, actually, in two and a half minutes. Um, and I, he only had, like, one touch. None of that was on him at all. But he didn't get another opportunity. But he will be getting opportunities. It's not like uh, Kemba Walker is the next man up in the rotation. I think that's definitely Grimes. And there's going to be nights where uh, Tibbs rides him a little bit. And I'm excited to see that. And um, just to focus on some positives from this game, Aside from 24 points on 50% shooting for Randall and the near triple-double, his defense on Kevin Durant really was superb. I think, yeah, he held him to 9 of 23, and he was the primary defender for a lot of this game. Um, I was very, very happy with what we saw from Randall. Different level of engagement, even though that, that had been trending upward, I think, a little bit recently. But just a different level of uh, commitment from him tonight really came to play. Derek Rose was incredible once again. Like we've said, you, know, you can't even say vintage D Rose when he has these acrobatic finishes at the rim because this is just what he does time and time again. He's so coordinated. Even if the the vertical you know loses a few inches, he's still got the hang time. He's still got the coordination. And uh, and back to Fournier real quick. There were times in this game where he looked about as bad as I've ever seen any player look. And then it's like he just remembers that he was a guy scoring in the high twenties low thirties at points in the Olympics, nearly winning gold medals. It's like, we've got to get him some kind of sports psychologist because when it looks good for him, it really looks great. And he's like, he's got it in him to hit these big shots. He's not scared to shoot at the end of games. I was really happy with that. I mean, obviously I was happy with that three he hit at the end to tie the game. But what made me really happy is that he shot it right away with no hesitation. Cause the worst thing that can happen in those situations is one guy gets a tough look. So he passes it off. Uh, he passes it up looking for a better look, pass, pass, ISO. And then it turns out that the first look was the best look. And now, you know, the game is gone. So I thought that a lot of players showed a lot of heart, a lot of resilience. And I think all in all, this was an extremely encouraging stretch for the Knicks. And like we said, a few episodes back, um, that stretch of games that was coming up for the Knicks that looked really challenging. I was thinking no matter how the record goes, if they just start to fight in these games, then we have a big, uh, a big opportunity to get things back on track because 
the Knicks play up to their competition and, you know, you don't want to see them scratch out wins against the Rockets, lose to the Magic. I think playing these good teams is what's going to get them, you know, playing the way they should be. Uh, biggest takeaway yeah. from this game overall was just looking at the Knicks fight in the same third quarter that they went down by um, double digits. They went, they came back in that same quarter to end it off and only be down by round four or somewhere around there. Um, before he hit those two big threes, so that was really good to see. But looking forward to our next game this is against the Bulls. It's going to be on national, well, kind of national TV. It's on the NBA TV, so can maybe sneak out a win. Kyle, do you have any takeaways from that game that you're looking forward to? I think they played the Bulls pretty well so far. Um, I I like how they match up with them. I feel like the Bulls get up to play against the Knicks so far. And for me, uh, I like that. I, I've always liked that. You know, these these two teams have stunk pretty much at similar times, so it's good to see them play well generally in the same era again. That's a fun thing. But, I mean, mostly for me, um, it the focus is still on the backcourt. Um, I know that Vooch is now back, which is going to, you know, complicate things a little bit for how Randall wants to attack the paint like he did the last game. He was going right at the rim the whole time, kind of knowing that they were playing small. So I'm interested to see what he's going to do because pretty much this whole last week, that's been his emphasis and focus. Um, so I'm curious to see if he's going to try to go right at Vooch or what, what the plan is there. Um, but also now with this new backcourt shuffle, uh, I'm just curious to see um, what, they, what they're going to do now with, with Burke starting and, and how they want to kind of game plan this whole DeRozan uh, Levine situation, you know, no, normally RJ, even though with the defensive inconsistencies this season, he's played pretty well against the Bulls, especially on DeRozan and Levine. But, um, you know, we'll see what transpires this time. If, RJ, if RJ's even feeling well enough, you know, we know he left this game with the non-COVID illness. So we'll see. But um, both just want to see if Burke's going to keep cooking. Just want to see how Randall's going to attack. And I, I want to see what Burke's can do now, like that he's really locked in as the starter, not just a spot starter type guy anymore. So. Yeah, I think it will be a really big game to, you know, you know, you know, give us confidence. Um, one of the biggest takeaways from this game is going to be, you know, Alec Burks and the new starting lineup. Um, Kemba Walker really struggled against the bowl size with Lonzo, um, Zach Levine, DeMar Rosen, and that, you know, backcourt trio, whatever you want to call it. So really having that size gives us some options to switch and to really give us some more versatility. Hopefully RJ gets to play in this game because I feel like he has good defensive uh, moments and gets uh, that that wing tandem. So, Dean, do you have any takeaways? I think that uh, we're due for like a Zach Levine masterclass. I really hope that that's not the case. But uh, I think that the last two times we played them, we really played them well. And I'm expecting that to continue. I have a lot of faith in the starting lineup and especially in Alec Burks. He's been one of my favorite Knicks going back to you know, probably the middle of last season when we started to call him Big Shot Burks, um, expecting him to hit big shots. Uh, for the Bulls, I think Vucevic has really been struggling. We don't want to be the team that he decides to get right against, go for a 28 and 18, uh, like he used to do to us pretty often when he was with Orlando. So I am very much looking forward to this game. The Bulls have, they got Lonzo Ball, they have Caruso. I think that's a good test for Quickly, who's uh who's really been trending in a, in a good way. And obviously anytime Derek Rose plays against the Bulls, you can expect 
some great moments and I'm expecting another great game from him. So we're at a point with the rotation where I feel just really, really confident in one through eight or so. Uh, if it's a nine man rotation, I'm not feeling great about New Orleans Noel. And like I've said, other times we've previewed a matchup with the Bulls. I don't think that Noel should spend too much time on Vucevic because he does struggle with the bigger body centers who can move him and who can exploit him on the offensive glass. Yeah, I think for me personally, I love the Bulls this year. Um, I'm really looking forward to it being a home game finally for the Knicks. I know the last two they played in Chicago, I believe. And, you know, the Knicks have not been a good home team this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing if they, as you said, Dean, play up to the competition and finally get right at home. Because I think that that home record is going to be really important down the stretch. So I think that this is such a big game for them against um, an Eastern Conference rival that, you know, hopefully they step it up and they have been playing them pretty well this year. So I have pretty high confidence in their ability to, to face off with them pretty evenly. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the game versus the Bulls is going to be, it's going to be really good. I, I think that's one of the teams the Knicks have played um, really well um, this season. Um, they're developing a little bit of a rivalry because both games have been close. Um, and in the last game, the Knicks actually took the lead into the fourth quarter. So um, it just, you know. Uh, okay. So, um, yeah, on the Bulls, um, yeah, um, I think that's one of the teams the Knicks have played really well this season. Um, like you guys said, the Knicks um, usually play up to competition. And um, the Bulls is one of the teams that um, – the Knicks have like really battled well and um, Julius Randle going into this game um, playing the game that he did against the Nets, you know, he goes in with some confidence. Um, the Knicks could use a little bit of home cooking. You know, we haven't, they haven't been too good at home. Um, and the last game versus the Bulls, the Knicks actually took the lead into the fourth quarter. So it just depends on them closing things out. You know, um, the Bulls went off in that fourth quarter scoring almost 40 points. So just the Knicks just got to hold it down on defense and, you know, hopefully the crowd, they can, the crowd can get behind them and, you know, they'll push them um, over the hump and they can get a victory and, you know, just keep, stay up above 500. Yeah, no, nah, they got to start stringing some games together, man. Uh, kind of plain and simple, you know, when you're trying to make that leap as a winning team, you got to start find a way to win these tough games. I think tonight they they had a winning effort. I think they could have, should have won the game. Um, I do want to harken back to the Nets game in a moment just because of some comments that uh, Julius and Tibbs have made post-game. But, um, yeah, I mean, you got to find a way to get it done. Uh, even like that Lakers game, it was an ugly win. But Lakers, even with their struggles, are a talented team, a pretty decent team, and you got to find a way to get it done. So, you know, hopefully – they're playing the Bulls first time out of Chicago now. Um, hopefully, I mean, hopefully that's your first statement. You know, you got to start, you, you got to start making a couple statement games is the way I look at it. I was hoping tonight was going to be one of them, but you know, the, the Hawks game felt like one, you know, um, obviously the Celtics game to start the season, but you know, since they had the struggles, it starts to feel like this is a time when you got to have a couple of big wins under your belt to kind of get your confidence up as, as the season really starts to, to kind of get underway here now. You know, you're not at the start of the season. You can't blame everything on early seasons, you know, rust or, you know, we haven't meshed yet. Like at a certain point, every team is dealing with that. So you got to find a way to knuckle up. 
but Bulls got a bunch of new pieces, and they are humming. Whole season, they've been humming. They look great. So hopefully this new rotation Tibbs guy is going to help us do the same thing. It looks like it's been doing that the last couple games. But um, I, I do want to get your guys' thoughts on some some of these quotes because I think that I think they feel like we feel. Uh, I'm going to start with Julius first and foremost. Uh, per Stephen Bondi, he says, Julius Randle said he was told by officials he's not getting calls because he's stronger than defenders and contact, contact is not affecting him. And Julius's exact words were, that's not how you're supposed to referee a game. That's just ridiculous. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. And it, we could see it. Like, we see it every game. And, I mean, like, it's crazy to hear a referee actually say it out loud or at least say it to Randall, to his face. And the same thing happens to RJ, too, where RJ's constantly driving to the basket, never gets any calls. And I, I feel like it's for that reason. And it's because he is stronger and, you know, maybe 50, 40% of the time, he's still able to make those tough shots. And even more so for Randall, just because Randall is a little bit bigger than RJ. But that's, yeah, that's tough to, to that's tough to hear. That's definitely tough to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that they, I'm definitely surprised that they said the quiet part out loud. Like I've never heard of a ref acknowledging this phenomenon. Um, I don't think anyone told Carmelo back during his Knicks era that uh, it's just because he was simply too strong. So I'm curious if that's really exactly how the conversation went and that was you know, exactly what the ref said, but that's definitely unacceptable. I mean, we got KD weighing like what, 215 at seven feet tall, going to the rack and if Derek Rose gives him a little tap on the hip uh, and he blows the dunk, that's a foul. So yeah, it, um, I'm not sure I can point to specific instances tonight, but yeah, Julius was driving pretty hard to the basket. And uh, those calls did not even out. They just didn't. And of course, I mean, we had the play where uh, quickly maybe got fouled. There was a loose ball uh, when we were on offense. And then James Harden held him down on the ground. I think we all saw that. It's very strange. It looked like a, like a big brother teasing a little brother. It looked like how my big brother used to do me when we were like playing sports with each other, roughhousing. He just held him down on the ground. And that's the play that led to the, the KD foul on the dunk, I believe. So it was definitely an uneven game from the refs. Yeah, I definitely yeah, but... saw that play where the ref held him down on the ground. Another play I saw was like where I think it was Rose guarding Harden, and then like Harden like elbowed Rose in the face, and they called the foul on Rose, and Rose was like in shock. So, Patrick, you were trying to say something? No, yeah, I was just gonna say like you know, um, for them to say that out loud is crazy because everybody knows that you know certain guys get certain calls. You know what I'm saying? If if Julius, I mean, I'm I don't want to say that. Julius wouldn't have got that call that if, if Derrick Rose would have hip-tapped Julius, he wouldn't have got that call and that missed dunk. But certain guys get certain calls. We know this. This is the NBA. There's, there are superstars call. There are superstar calls. So, I mean, we know what's going on, you know? Like, certain guys don't get that call. Durant gets that call because he's Kevin Durant. Nah, I, I mean, this is absolutely sick and sweet. I'm going to read off. We, we don't got to go one by one, but I want to read off a couple of these quotes just back to back because Tibbs and Julius were kind of teeing up, rightfully, rightfully teeing off because it doesn't really make, again, uh, guys that don't even complain about the refs like me, I, I'm, I'm irate about it. Uh, no, I don't ever like chalk up a loss to it, but I, I still can't get over this. So uh, some, of, some of the other things Tibbs and Julius said, because uh, per Fred Katz, this was the shortest, media availability of the season so far for Tom Thibodeau. So uh, Tom said, 
he's not happy about the officiating tonight. And the quote was, I'm going to take a look at the film, but there was a big discrepancy in the free throws. I can tell you that. I don't care how the game is called. You can call it tight. You can call it loose, but you got to call it the same. It's a fact. And then it follows that up with saying, um, I know Julius was driving that ball pretty darn hard and, and I'm pissed. And then he left because he also said, um, where is it? Oh yeah. He says, Julius is driving the ball and he gets two free throws. And it's true. I mean, Julius is driving every time and he's getting mauled. And the same thing that you saw that happened to James Johnson there to end the game with Mitch there, where he put his arms down, that happens to Julius every time he drives into the paint. I'm sorry. Some of these times Julius fucks up and he goes at the rim, double pumps, whatever. He tries to pass out because he's still a playmaker, right? Sometimes he fucks up, for sure, for sure. Turns the ball over, gets blocked, for sure. It's not 100%. But a lot of the times when he's just trying to go up at the rim and finish, he's getting mauled. He's getting hacked. I don't know. He's got to. He's got to be stabbed. He's got to be hospitalized in order to get a whistle. I don't know what needs to be done here, but it's insanity. Um, and then, you know, Julius. Also, this was another quote from Julius tonight. You saw what happened. Everybody saw what happened uh, on him getting to the free throw line only twice tonight. Um, I just don't know what they like expect these guys to say after a game like this because it was so. And even the tech, I saw people melting down and calling Julius an idiot for, for getting the tech. I'm sorry. As an NBA player, as a professional basketball player, and a tightly – this was an excellent basketball game by the Knicks and the Nets, both sides. Everybody, I thought this was like just great, like A-plus level Thanks. quality of a game, both sides. If you were just a fan of basketball, this was an excellent, excellent basketball game. And for that reason, it infuriates me when the refs decide to inject themselves into the game and say, we got to call a technical foul because you got too angry. I hate that, all right? It's a, it's a minute left. These are the best players in the world. Playing in New York for two of the best teams right now. And a guy gets angry, says something, I'm sh- and it's never anything serious is my thing. He, it's never anything serious. And you're going to call a technical foul on him. For, for what? For what? Just let these guys play. It's like you want these guys to be emotional, but you don't want them to be too emotional. And then how are you supposed to judge that? So stop judging it at all. Let them be angry unless they personally touch you, push you, viciously say something abusive to you. They, they should never be getting a technical foul. Never. Never get a technical foul because they're fired up or slightly upset about a call. Ever. Should never be a technical. Should never be considered. I hate that stuff. It decides games for no reason. We had an excellent one-possession game here. It still was a, a one-possession game through the end. But it shouldn't have even been an issue. You, should, you shouldn't even allow that kind of stuff to happen. To me, there's no, there's no reason for it. There's no place in this game for it. NBA is all about fixing the game, fixing the rules to make it resemble more of a game of basketball. They had a good start last offseason. They got, they got to address this technical situation because they always ramp it up. It never goes down. They always ramp it up. They get more sensitive, more uptight about it. It's got to go the opposite way. This is ridiculous now. Yeah, the tech was egregious. I agree with like he I mean, you know, it it's unfortunate it happened at that stage of the game, but um <clears throat> the tech was nuts considering the discrepancies in foul calls. Like, you know, Brooklyn shot almost two times more. Well, over two times more. The the Knicks shot eleven and Brooklyn shot twenty-five free throws. So, you know, Julius has a legit beef, you know? Like he was getting whacked, other Knicks were getting whacked and they weren't getting calls, you know, and just like you know, before, like some guys get certain calls. That's just how it goes. Yeah, the the foul calling was ridiculous. 
Partially, I mean, I, I, I don't know if they have to just like RJ and flapping more, trying to selling it more to the refs. I don't like that. That they, that's probably what's going to have to come to, but um, they probably have to add some more craft to their game, like I how kind of like IQ used to do, where it kind of doesn't at the same time. But they were still giving hard in those egregious calls in the beginning of the game and throughout the game as well. So I don't know. This, this is this, it was a bad ref game, all in all. I, I don't really know what to say about it. Um, I just hope that it gets fixed in the, the, the near future and hopefully some reformation can continue to go on because I don't know this it was it's just it was all bad all around. Anything else that stands out to you they said? I mean, it seemed like the focus was mostly on this referee situation from what I, from what I'm seeing here, I'm trying to scan for a couple more, but um, I mean, it, it, to me, like to me, like the only other thing Bondi tweeted was that Julius got in the face of an official after the, the loss. And it seems like whatever, whenever Julius is in Brooklyn, some wild shit happens. This happened last year too. He finished the game. He lost his mind a little bit, got upset. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't blame him for getting upset, man. I, you're look, listen, like you're a professional. He just got paid, and I'm sure he hears the noise about the struggles with the team, or even with him at certain times. So obviously, he wants to win this game, and it sucks when you have such a great all-around game like he did and the team did, and you sort of feel like the results don't play out naturally like they should. And uh, I never begrudge a guy for getting fired up or overly angry in those situations. They should matter. This is your career. This is your reputation. This is your livelihood. And if somebody's going to decide a game because they thought you maybe got too angry about something, I mean, I think that's very silly. If that, if, if you're a referee and that's what you're worried about in the last minute of a basketball game, a professional NBA game, you should not be an NBA referee. Uh, you're there to call contact. You're there to call clear violations. You're not there to police everybody's behavior. Uh, being a certain way or level above what you maybe thought it should be. So, I, I mean, that that's mostly just what's – and it's things that this is what we got to talk about too as a big part of this game, you know, because there – and we did spend a lot of time on, on positives from it, you know, uh, the rotation looking better, Julius looking great, but it even stinks that we got to waste this much time talking about like egregious shit. And it wasn't just the tech. It's the discrepancy in the calls. It's the calls that aren't getting called. It's, you know – quickly getting pinned to the ground. It's like even the James Harden travel, we haven't even mentioned the James Harden travel, the, the fucking spin a he does uh, yeah, that with was, no, nobody that was around him. Uh, I mean, technically it's probably legal by the rules, but that, that's still that, that's still, a foul, that's still a travel. I, I don't even know what to call that at this point. Well, uh, that definitely step. wasn't because that was... Past. Yeah, he didn't pretend like he was hop-stepping to land on two feet. He jumped, he took two steps, he landed, he passed it. He had never had any concern that would be called. It just looked. It just didn't look natural. It just didn't look like you. You watched him do it. He, we all watched him do it. He knew it. He knew it because he got rid of the ball as soon as he landed. Like, just call it. Just call. It clearly was not a basketball move. You know, like I, I don't get sometimes like what we have to argue. I feel like I'm arguing like a crazy person. Like we saw something that nobody else saw. It's it's an insane thing that we have to do sometimes. So fucking, it was a travel. It was a travel. Yeah, the the refs just the refs like they let. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I've they let them play. Like they let them play like you know in, in weird spots. Like, like all right, like at the end of the game when Julius got the tech or whatever, like 
you know, the, the game is close, you know, the, the crowd is into it, you know, the arena's loud, both teams are, you know, battling. And then it's like that, those are the moments where, you know, you got to let them play. Just let the players decide the game. Don't, ins- like you said, Kyle, don't insert yourself inside the game. Like nobody's there to see you. Nobody wants to see refs. We, we want to see the game play out, you know, naturally. So like you guys just mentioned that James Harden travel is like, those are the ones that you call those egregious ones where it's everybody in, in the stands and watching knows like he traveled, you know, blow the whistle like that one. That's the one you call, not, you know, a player being upset, you know, about the non-calls, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially when it's that close, like don't decide the game. Did you guys see anything about the, the Mitch foul at the end, like the players talking about it or any reporters talking about it. I thought that was a pretty deflating and terrible way to lose the game, especially on a, a, a bad, I don't know if you call it a bad ref call or bad play by Mitch. Swiping down at that moment, could you really use verticality? It was a bad play by Mitch. Um, that's my, I don't know what you guys thought. I thought it was a bad play by Mitch. I thought James Johnson had absolutely no fucking place to go. He already yeah, committed he to, to his two steps. He already picked up his dribble. He was well. He was stuck in the middle of the paint, no man's land. Nobody, nobody to pass to. Nothing. All Mitch had to do was stand there for an extra half a second, go straight up, smack yep. that shit into the bleachers. Whatever he wanted to do, and he would have been fine. And instead, yep. for no reason at all, he rushes and goes like this and puts his hands out for for why? For it was a foul. I mean, I hate to even say it, but it was a, it was a foul. He didn't get ball at all. I watched oh, him three yeah. times. Act the fuck out of him. <laughs> Crazy, but that was yeah, that was a heartbreaker because so I was uh, I was telling my girlfriend when they were inbounding the ball I was like oh, she was so excited that uh, the Knicks tied it on a three I was like look it's 17 seconds they have Kevin Durant um, I'm very scared terrified and uh, they send the double at KD with seven seconds left like really a, a great double and they force yeah. it yeah they get great. into the hands of James Johnson of all people now obviously James Johnson has hit a game-winning three on us before in Sacramento, but I wasn't thinking about that at the time. Because in this situation, it's like, you know, he's driving down a congested lane. He's James Johnson. He was out of the league like two years ago. Um, I wasn't worried about it and I became worried about it once I saw that Mitch was not going to just take a charge or just put his hand straight up. Um, and I think he, he really bailed them out. At first, I was furious. I was like, oh, this is some ref bullshit. Uh, they're bailing out James Johnson. They'll do anything for the Nets. I watched the replay, and it was a boneheaded play. And there's just no excuse for it. And that's, that might be why he deleted his tweets, which were funny. And I respect the transparency on the tweets. He did get pushed, but I don't think that the push caused him to swipe down with his hands. So that was just unfortunate. And Fournier got off a pretty good look. I, yeah. It was it hit a, the rim. a closer shot. Like, I thought that it was deeper than it was when it happened live. But on the replay, line, you could hit that. An NBA player that can shoot could hit that. So that would have been an all-time moment. We would have seen Barclays erupt like it was MSG, and that would have been great, but hopefully another time. Yeah, if if Thibs wouldn't have um, challenged the KD um, foul, the Derrick Rose foul on KD, you know, maybe the timeout that the Knicks would have got some uh, something a little better off because they would have a they would have saved the timeout there. But you know, them's the breaks, right? Yeah, I mean, another, we don't have time to discuss this, but Tibbs is a terrible, terrible challenger. 
just an awful he, – he's an awful – one of the worst coaches in the league with the challenges. He never gets it right. He always uses it early. Uh, I, I I don't got a time to do the whole rig of a roll, but, yeah, I didn't like the challenge tonight. Uh, I never really do with it. I, for such a guy who gets fired up about all, all these things that normally he sees what we see. He calls a timeout when we want him to call the timeout. He gets angry at Evan Fournier. We want him to get angry at Evan Fournier. And then he doesn't challenge when we would want to challenge. I think uh, that that's what bothers me more. I, it feels like we're on the same wavelength with him a lot of times. And with the challenge, it's always like, like this. This was when this was when you chose to do it. This is when you broke it out. I feel like the challenges are a mixed bag. I feel like more often he calls it right. Uh, was it really going to change the game that much? I think he still could have. It was like five minutes left in the game. He still could have stayed there for the end of the game. And he, regardless of what happened. Yeah, I'm a fan of the challenge uh, in general, but I wish that if you won the challenge, you get another challenge. I feel like it should go like that. Like let let the coaching staff get on a streak of the reps being wrong. Uh, but in general, I like it. Um, yeah, I I don't know if Tibbs had the benefit of looking at a, a replay real quick of the call that he did end up challenging because that was definitely a foul. Um, like you can argue that KD missed the dunk because he missed the dunk and not because of the light foul, but it was definitely a foul. So I think in a game like that, you want to, you want to hold on to the challenge, but uh, you know, the Knicks, as much as they could try to blame the refs, um, you know, they lost this game. They had opportunities to win it. And I'm just extremely encouraged by this game. Like we said before, there were a ton of positives and um, like I've said before, and I want to repeat again um, before I would have seen the starting lineup having like a, a minus five net rating as a win. And, you know, you think well, the bench is going to, it's going to put up a plus 15 and then maybe the Knicks go in the game. And now I feel like we get back to, you know, the starters being a pretty good unit, if not an improvement on last year's starters uh, that had, it's, it's like you just slid uh, Alec Burks in there for Alfred Payton. I feel really good about this starting lineup. I think it can be an actual positive lineup. And I think that the Knicks can rattle off some wins soon and become a well above 500 team because going into tonight, they were three games back of first. I feel like we really lose sight of that. Um, so I think that they're going to commit to this rotation. They're going to commit to Julius Randle with shooting around him and some secondary playmaking and hopefully be a better fourth quarter team. What was, I'm not sure how many points they scored in the fourth quarter, but at one point TNT put up a graphic that the Knicks were averaging like 17.6 fourth quarter points. And at that moment they had 36, like two minutes left. So that's, that's major. If the Knicks can become a better fourth quarter team and not have lapses during the game, you know, really go on a run. I think they scored 26 in the fourth tonight. Oh, it was 26, 26 to 24 yeah. was the fourth quarter frame. Yeah. I, th I think the Knicks won three out of the four quarters. Um, but yeah, like just, just, just tying up like the four, like at the Knicks, they could have won the game. It's just that the fourth, the third quarter, excuse me, continues to be the boogeyman. You know, if Brooklyn doesn't go on that 14 uh, 0 run to start the quarter, like, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks have it in the back. They finished, they finished the third on a 16 4 run. Brooklyn had missed 10 three pointers in a row, you know, like the Knicks had it just. Tighten up that third quarter. I don't know what it is. I don't know what what what's being said at halftime, but it's just they come out, you know, in the third, and it's just like a different team. And then they they just knuckle up, you know, when things get rough. I, I feel like the Knicks they they got to feel that pressure 
to then come back, you know, just hold it down like you did in the, in the first two quarters, you know, and, you know, just, just that third quarter, man, I just got to figure that out. It, it was the same thing last year too. The third quarter was the boogeyman. Just it's that third quarter. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I just felt like defensively they weren't where they were at to start the game off, which was disappointing because I feel like they had it going in the second quarter as well. And I thought to myself, finally, like they, they have the consistency going where they're able to play hard, play tough against the Nets and actually stay in it. And then, you know, the third quarter opened up and it was just like the flood waters started pouring for Brooklyn. And that run really set them back a ton. I mean, I think the Knicks ended on their own run. It was like a 14 to six run or something along those lines to end the third, which is what got them back in it. But, you know, to start off the third that way, it's going to set a tone regardless of whatever you do to get back into it. So that was pretty disappointing to see. I think it was really just the defensive intensity, though, that really sunk them in that third quarter. So if they're able to bring that back more consistently and just become more consistent on that front throughout the entire game, I think that they'll be a lot better off. But I don't think they were too bad tonight. The fact that they only lost by two to Brooklyn, I'm, I'm not too stressed out about that. Yeah, no, it was really encouraging. Like it was a really, despite the loss, it was a really encouraging game to see. It was a great team team game. Yeah, definitely a good team all around game. Even though coming in with those clutch buckets, able to handle the ball and everything like that. But thank you for tuning into another episode of the Knicks Wall at the Buzzer Podcast. It was an honor having all our guests on tonight, and hopefully we can get a victory against the Bulls on Thursday. Thank you for tuning in. Have a good one.